0: blog talk radio Africa. Africa is the center of the world latitude zero longitude zero planned by the creator Sylvain was the first man found on the earth that earth i Great, the African embrace. the color of life, universal harmony, the earth supports our conscious effort for sustained humanity, human beings, human love.
1: On a spiritual tip, so vast, so
0: great, the African embrace, live beyond, beyond. love beyond, Your your skin to where you
1: be
2: Who are we, and how do we be? We are doo and bebop and hip-hop, that we don't stop. You see, it started a long time ago, and it wasn't a show. We gave birth to a style like a precocious child, feeling the passion for life, erasing away all the strife. Telling our tales with verbal mail, putting honey on the blade, creating language to persuade. Share who we've always been. Always a blessing, never a sin. We are doo-wop and bebop and hip hop and we don't stop. Our mother gave birth to everyone on earth. So we echo her call. And always walk tall. Cause we're hips of the world, so we create black pearls. That everyone can wear, that everyone can share. We can't live in despair. So we shine everywhere. On and on. On and
0: on.
3: We'd like to welcome you to Africa on the Moon. The host, Brother Africa, is always an honor and a privilege to come to your home this evening where we can speak truth through power and to, to provide you with information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you on the 8th of November, 2020, to another episode of Africa on the Moon. Our theme tonight is, what's up with this?
1: That's right, there's a
3: lot of stuff going on, and we would like to try to figure out what's up with these things that are going on that are impacting our community and our world. We ask you to join in with us and share your views and your perspectives by calling in that, one, Three two three six seven nine zero eight four one. And again, that's the number to call in. And like always, when we talk about Africa on the move, we like to start off with our party by introducing to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. Right now, we want to bring in Brother Haki and welcome him. Africa on
4: the Move. Welcome to Africa on the Move, Brother Haki. Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamathi Mishoki, <clears throat> currently I'm with African Awareness. And of course, you know, my thing is all about institution building. But you know, recently, you know, Brother Africa, since out was in Nigeria, I <clears throat> had some concerns in terms of why uh, Africa on the Move uh, is not dealing with the question in terms of what's going on in Nigeria. And I certainly don't want anyone, my brothers and sisters in Nigeria, to think that you know, somehow that we're indifferent to what's going on in Nigeria. So in that, with that in mind, I wrote this, this this piece. I want you to check this out. Now, protests currently taking place in Nigeria is a welcome sight in view of the historical role colonialism has played in West Africa. Protests in Nigeria tends to elevate voices long silenced by the persistent beat or exploitation endured by Africans. Chinua Achebe's book, Things fall apart. Elevated our understanding of colonialism, but they also elevated our understanding of the complicitous nature of African policies and behaviors that contributes to the longevity of colonialism, both past and present. Injustices inflicted upon Africans by Africans, in pursuit of material gains, only contributes to the demoralization of a people, the stagnation of a state, and the marginalization of an entire continent. The institution most profoundly carrying out the mon- mandates of neocolonialism is law enforcement. Fela Kuti, the originator of Yoruba music, sang forcibly about the excesses of Polish brutality and its impact on the citizenry. Fela's music enlightened and captivated people throughout the world. It is because of his success highlighting the systematic abuse of Nigerians and oppressions of Africans throughout the world, he attracted the attention of Western intelligence and African puppets who carry out the will of their Western overlords. Western intelligence surveillance of FATA was nothing new. During the establishment of Nigeria's first republic, when Nigeria became free, quote unquote free, a charismatic, bright nationalist by the name of Namdi Azikwe came under surveillance in the 50s. Azikwe understood systematic oppression of Nigeria will not disappear by simply signing an agreement with the British. That securing real, pre- real freedoms entails self-critique, understanding the psychological impact of colonization and the importance of regional cooperation of, of other African states' struggles for independence. Founder of the National Council of Nigeria and Cameroon, clearly became Nigeria's first independent president in 1960. In less than three and a half years, Azikiwe was overthrown in a coup. The speed in which Western intelligence, specifically Britain, was able to form in a coup against Azikiwe attests to how invaluable self-critique is if a people nation is to be free. Self-critique is a required prerequisite for political leadership without an implicit understanding of one's motivations the propensity to be manipulated by exterior forces increases. In the case of Nigeria, troops have been formed to ensure that the, the most corrupt leaders hold power. Once in power, corrupt leaders are expected to maintain conditions suitable to plunder, graft, and stealing. Ironically, uh, anti-fraud statute 419 is so specious, specious, it is often expressed as a mean indicating how commonplace corruption exists in Nigeria. Under normal circumstances, corruption is normally camouflaged or concealed. In the U.S., corruption is coded in a veneer of respectability utilizing deceptive economic jargon. Nigeria's leaders go a step further. Using deceptive economic jargon in addition to law, Nigerian leaders seek to criminalize speech directed toward government or public officials as related to corruption in Nigeria. In the case of Muhammadu Buhari, the current president, he was the author of decree number four, making it a crime to ridicule public officials for corruption. Obviously, the implication of such a law suggests corruption exists because it serves the interests of Nigeria's elites, and any attempt to undermine corruption will be dealt with harshly. Perhaps this explains the ruthlessness inflicted upon the people by police, both in Nigeria and the U.S. Now, there is no question, you know, that the North-South divide. Facility, excuse me. Divide, facilitate the, the, the Nigerian factor. To best facilitate corruption, division must be created. Division of tribes, division of religion, division of language are all useful tools to create division in society, but their strategic use over the long term are counterproductive because they're threatening to bring down the entire system. The more logical approach is the creation of law enforcement apparatus to divide people. Because law enforcement is legitimized by the state, selective enforcement of policing Provides cover for elites to engage in activities otherwise perceived as criminal. In the case of Nigeria, benefits of corruption, monetary benefits, have been greatly impacted by slumping oil sales. Oil rents, differences between the value of the crude oil and the market prices, have declined in less than four years from 12 percent from 12 percent of GDP to currently to 9 point to 9 percent GDP currently. Income derived from oil sales stands at $900 billion in Nigeria, and the benefits of those oil sales to Nigerians comes out to an average of about $4,000 per person. Oil sale revenues are complicated by the fact Nigeria owes the World Bank, and this is according to their own figures, $1.2 trillion, including transportation costs, interest on debt, principal, et cetera, a year, according to the World Bank. Now, point being, amassing great wealth from the government gold is complicated by this economic environment and capitalism's drive to maximize profit. Uh, at Nigeria's expense, or, or Africa or Africa generally, as far as that goes. Revenues leaving Nigeria's cough as fast as the revenues coming in only complicates an already existing precarious economic condition. A declining living standard, joblessness, and high inflation rates only contributes to the people's desperation. Obviously, spoils and corruption are being co- competed for by various elites and, by, by extension, access to capital by working people. What is the response from elites? Former President Abacha's position was very, very clear: those who threaten the gravely train of corruption must be eliminated. Using a strategy employed to eliminate Ken Sarawiwo, an environmentalist, SARS, the special anti-robbery squad, focuses, focuses to terrorize the populace. According to activists in Lagos, recently 15 people lost their lives in a peaceful po- protest, not including the 69 who died throughout Nigeria. Is there any doubt violence isn't a key component to government policy? The one has only to. Con- to contrast the history of SARS, killing civilians and casualties inflicted by the military, if one can see the parallel between police violence in Nigeria and police violence in the U.S., you are now uniquely situated to understand the inhumanity of a vicious capitalist system and its enablers an who endeavor to keep people poor and suffering while the elite continue to prosper. We wholeheartedly endorse the protest in Nigeria, and if it morphs into a struggle for pan-Africanism, that will be supported as well. And that is my response to the sister who who was concerned about, you know, our uh what she perceived as uh uh a lack of um concern in terms of um, what's going on in Nigeria. So I certainly hope that addressed her concerns in terms of, you know, our, our our support for the people in Nigeria as they fight against a very vicious system uh, you know, that's been uh, decimating uh, the Nigerians for a long, long, long period of time.
3: And Jesse Judge response to that concern. Any brother and sister who is very knowledgeable about any situation that is going on in Africa, they are welcome to come and share their expertise with our listening audience. The only thing you need to do is contact us at Africa on the move 2 at gmail.com and we will give you the opportunity to share your information. Next, let's bring in our Brother Moses. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa. To move,
5: welcome. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice. My name is Robert Andrew Moses. I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there is one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that my faith tongue is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. Thank you once again for another show that's beyond, Brother Ashley. Thank you. All
3: right. Thank you, Brother Moses. Like always, our first segment, we'll deal with what's going on in your community. If you have anything you'd like to share with us as it relates to this theme, what's going on? In your world and the community, please feel free to call 323 841 Press 1, and we will acknowledge your last for a number. So before we do that, what we're going to do, we're going to quickly pause for the calls. We're going to take a music break. We're going to play some music of liberation. And when we get back, panelists, we we'll would like to know what's going on in your world and the community. You are listening to Brother Africa on Africa on the Moon. Mm-hmm. Saturday, November 14, on this station and other social media. Please check out and participate in support the upcoming commemoration of the revolutionary life of Brother Kwame Ture, which will be organized by the All African People's rubbish Theory Party G.C. For more information, please go to their website at www.a-a. PRP.GC.ORG. Also, we'd like to send a message out to our brother Kwaku, who is based out of London, England, and Ghana. That we are still working on the we are still working on the possibility of trying to connect you with us. So be a little patient, brother. We got you on the agenda, and we hope to 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 have been able to work out the logistical problems that we have in Canada from allowing this to take place. So, you own that chart, stay put, and we'll be there. And, like always, to our uh, listening audience, please share with your brothers and sisters that Africa on the Move is a vehicle for our people and our community. You're welcome to come on, share your thoughts, your ideas by contacting us at Africa on the Move, number two at gmail.com. We need the information. As we often tell you, Without information, you cannot think. And without organization, you cannot think clearly. So, you want to inspire people to get the necessary information so we can move forward. But more critically, to join an organization to working to help make life better, not only for your people, but for all of humanity. So, those are our little brief announcements right now. We will now go back to our political panelists analysts. And we now start this segment, what's going on in your world and the community? we start out with you, Brother Hackey. What's going on in your world and the
4: community? Well, Brother Africa, uh, the, the more things change, the more things remain the same. Uh, recently, there's a Mark McConnell. Uh, he's, a, he's a prosecutor for the Department of Justice. Now, he's part of a uh, coalition called the uh, Military Civilian Task Force Tracking Drugs to the U.S. in the Southern Hemisphere now his whole the whole focus of this group is to monitor drug trafficking in the Western Hemisphere. we're talking about Central South America and Caribbeans. Now interestingly enough, um, McConnell came across a database entitled Helios, and of course, in, in looking at that that that, that database, he discovers some things that uh, that he, he that he perceived as criminal, and certainly some things that in fact are criminal uh, based upon you know uh, international and national law. In event, uh, McConnell discovered that when he looked at this database Helios, he found out that the CIA and the FBI uh, were actually um, uh, engaging in surveillance of of countries in the southern hemisphere with the sole purpose of identifying those those drug traffickers in in the southern hemisphere who potentially could bring drugs into the United States. But interestingly enough, the uh, the information that the CIA and FBI obtained was very, very um, um, speculative. Uh, you would think that in terms of gathering information, that no one would fall through the cracks in terms of you know if they involved involved in drugs. Then in fact it would be it would be uh, revealed. Well, what happens is that the the CIA and the FBI engage in selective persecution of so-called drug dealers. So what happens is that those poor individuals, you know, in the southern, in the southern hemisphere of the world uh, who engage in drug trafficking, those are the ones who, in fact, actually end up uh, being indicted, you know, for drug trafficking. Uh, their case were in turn transferred to the Department of Justice for persecution. Now, here's the thing. Those individuals who are, who are powerfully connected, those, the heads of those syndicates, uh, those individuals who work intimately with the CIA and the FBI in terms of facilitating drug trades throughout the world, particularly in the Southern Hemisphere, those particular individuals are never are never ever indicted. And so the mere fact that you know there's a selective persecution in terms of, you know, uh who 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 is uh who is um indicted and who's not, uh number one is, is in terms of terms of, you know, the legal profession, it's unethical in terms of doing that kind of thing. But nonetheless, that is what they're engaging in. And here's the thing. Uh, you know, one of the things is that when when the when these cases when these cases created by the CIA and FBI are given to the Department of Justice, the problem is that uh, there is no corroborating evidence to, to sustain you know uh, the charges that these people engage in drug trafficking. It's simply based upon the word of CIA and FBI these people are in fact engaged in drug dealing. And so the problem is that when you, so when you have a defense attorney trying to defend these people, the problem is. That they can't defend them simply because the information that they that there was obtained attained illegally, you know about CIA and FBI, cannot be dis- 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 disclosed in the in the in court setting. So you can't talk about you know in terms of how they gather this information. So what happens is that essentially what happens is the court simply takes the CIA and FBI's word at it and end up indicting these people, sending these pe- people to prison for law a large period of time even though it does nothing in terms of denting the flow of drugs into the United States. But, of course, that's all by design. Now, real, now, the thing is that ethically, one of the things that's supposed to happen, according to most prosecutors, in a situation where the CIA and the FBI brought various drug cases to the Department of Justice, because they're unable to um, uh, get additional supporting information from the CIA and FBI, the thing is that what you do is you simply dismiss the case. You dismiss it simply because, uh, we're, in other words, what you're saying to the to to the CIA and FBI, if you can't provide uh, corroboration information clarifying, you know what, you know how you find out this person was engaged in drug dealing, we can't use it. So what we do is dismiss the case. But increasingly, what's happening is that's not happening. Now what's happening is you got a lot of corrupt judges, who simply would take the CIA and FBI for their word and end up indicting these poor people and end up sending them to prison for a long period of time. While the major drug dealers, those who work with the CIA, who work with the FBI, continue to evade capture but even though it's clear that based upon the technology that in fact they know who they are but somehow they they are able to to continue to to run uh, uh to, to to traffic in, in narcotics even though the cia and the know clearly who these who these who these people are now interesting enough though you know um you know aside from the question in terms of you know uh you know the, the illegality of it all one of the things is that you know um you know, that once, you know, once he, he came to the realization you know, that they had to do something about that, McConnell, he actually, he, you know, he, he, he notified the, the authorities in terms of whistleblowers, whistleblower, uh, heavy whistleblower uh, statues, which cover whistleblowers in case they, you know, they, 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 they want to uh, expose, you know, some wrongdoing by the government. So he contacted these people and he told them what the situation was. They advised him what to do, and so he did what they told him to do, that is that you take the information, put it in a legal envelope, Still, it, label it um, um, secret, top secret, and then you put it away. You hide the information so it can be used at some later date. Well, the problem is, is once he, the problem was that once he 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 he, he notified the the whistleblowers uh, that he would in fact intend to expose his wrongdoing, they in turn told his supervisors in terms of what they, what he was doing. They in turn uh, uh, initiated a, uh, a a a a program of harassment, specifically in terms of uh, you know not only to uh, dismiss you know what he was saying, but in fact to destroy his career in terms of in terms of law enforcement. So in this attempt in terms of destroying this individual was, was preceded by uh, the the top CIA director, which in this case is Gina Hesbeck. and the real this fact that the, the the top the very top of the CIA got involved in something like this. Speaks values in terms of the kind of collusion, the kind of um, criminality that the run shy, you know, in institutions like the CIA and the FBI. But it, but the thing is that the mere fact that McConnell chose to stand up and do that, which is right, speaks values in terms of who, who he is as a human being, you know, as a principled person to actually take a stand. Whereas most people would tend to play ball simply because there's a paycheck in it. So people like McConnell are very special people indeed. But it story doesn't stop there. I and mean, here's the, here's the problem. One of the things that in you know, Miami, uh, there's a, um, a long history of law enforcement engaging in, in drug trafficking in Miami. Recently, uh, in Miami-Dade County, there was a situation where uh, two police officers and an attorney, uh, Manny Hernandez, were charged with conspiracy to distribute and possession with intent to distribute drugs. Now, officers, the police officers, uh, Roderick Flowers and Keith Edwards, were charged with protecting and transporting drugs for drug organization in Miami. Interesting enough, these individuals work with an individual by the name of Durojai Obefemi Musuru Lawa. Now Lawa, a Nigerian national, uh, was responsible for drug laundering, drug money. It's very interesting because when they questioned Lawa in terms of his participation in terms of the drug trafficking, he said that he divulged that he got a uh, connection to higher ups in Nigeria normally higher-ups is a euphemism for intelligence. So what he's saying is that he has a relationship with Nigerian intelligence. And I find that very, very interesting, because one of the things that, that, that the, 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 the DEA talks about all the time, and we report all the time, when you talk about the transshipment point in terms of you know, dissemination of drugs throughout Africa, Nigeria is the place. It's a focal point in terms of dissemination of drugs throughout the continent of Africa. And so, therefore, this relationship between the CIA and Nigerian intelligence is well-documented. And so the mere fact that he discloses this relationship, he felt comfortable enough that once they know who he was, that essentially he would be let off the hook. So one of the things I'm definitely going to do is continue to follow this case of, of, uh, of law and see exactly what happened in terms of if him. They, if they dismiss him or throw it out, it is very, very clear in terms of the politics behind, you know, why such a decision was ever made. But anyway, this is important because one of the things that we, we thought back in the 80s, we thought that this whole um, this whole uh, uh, intelligence uh, Agency involvement with drug trafficking was at an end. Remember, uh, Rick, uh, Rick Ross, remember Ross. Remember that, um, the the uh, remember uh, the, the reporter who did the piece on the Dark Alliance, talking about the CIA and in in, in in the, in the uh in, in big time uh, drug organizations' relationships in terms of facilitating drug trades around the world. So we thought that once they were exposed, that that that, that relationship had ended. Well, relationship hasn't ended. In fact, it continues. And the thing is that historically, they've always used the importation of drugs, particularly to destabilize, or to um, or immobilize, or to uh, or to uh, undermine the or to continue the oppression of African people by utilizing drugs in the African community. So historically, we it, you know it's been very successful in terms of utilization of, of you know of, of drugs into the African community for the sole purpose in terms of destroying many creature minds as possible, and, and there's certainly this strategy has been somewhat useful and successful. But here lately, fortunately, uh, the actually the incidence in terms of, of heroin and cocaine use has actually been declining among African people. So that in itself is a very, very, a very very, uh, uh, a very, encouraging thing, a very encouraging sign in terms of, you know, that uh, this whole question in terms of you know, violation of drugs for the sole purpose of the oppression of African community is certainly on its way out. But on, this, on, the, on, the other, on the other extreme, though, one of the things you have to keep in mind is that even though the drug use in the African community is on decline, the drug use in the white community is actually increasing. But so you would think that in terms of the strategy, if the strategy specifically was designed in terms of, you know, uh, demoralizing or uh, um, oppressing the African community, then you think that uh, once the African community was no longer falling for that trick that they would de- 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 cease from such a strategy. But they don't. So now that the white folks are also consuming greater and greater volumes of cocaine, greater and greater numbers of uh, uh, value, excuse me, greater and greater uh, uh, qualities of, of cocaine and heroin, uh, now it seems, it seems that, uh, you know, even though that is the reality, it's not deterring the CIA and the FBI, why I'm older, in terms of continuation, in terms of this relationship with these foreign uh, narcotic traffickers. So it speaks values in terms of the kind of strategies they utilize to maintain control at all costs and so one of the things we have to understand is that when you know in a, in an age of enlightenment when more, as more and more people come to realization in terms of what's really going on in the society it means that it it comes to a real threat in terms of the longevity of the system uh one of the things that's an old saying that you know in a, you know any in the government that makes a practice of uh, lying um by uh by similarly circumstances, uh, such a government would on, would only see the truth as a threat and its and consequence would have no other recourse in terms of to, to deal with that. And so the mere fact that increasing number of white folks are actually engaging in cocaine and heroin uh, speaks variance in terms of not only the desperation of the system to survive but the callousness in which they they, they go about their business in terms of ensuring that drugs continue to flow throughout the, 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 throughout uh, the United States. So clearly, you know, we, we you know, this is important. We understand that the relationship between, you know, um, drugs and uh, and what that means in terms of foreign policy because we can't talk about geopolitics without understanding that when, when, as far as those in power are concerned, when they define their enemies, their enemies are not simply uh, exterior. They're not international. They're also right here in this country. And so, therefore, if drugs, you know, um, in terms of the way they, how they work, if they can, in fact, eliminate uh, people in terms of ability to think, or eliminate people's uh, resolve, eliminate people's desire to see a different per- paradigm, then it's in the interest of those in power to continue this such a program uh, uh, that uh, continues uh, to, to to literally devastate the minds of lots and lots of people. So clearly this this, this problem in terms of you know, drugs fill, you know, filling this country is not going to end. So fa- as far as those in power are concerned, it's an effective strategy, and what we have to understand is that irrespective of the community, uh, all of us, obviously, that's enemies simply because they understand in the context of, of, of decline, economic and otherwise, that we all represent a tangible threat to the system as it currently exists.
3: Yeah, Brother can it sounds like the question Brother Peter raised years ago. Everybody talking about crime, but tell me who are the real enemies and who are the real criminals? we um, seem to have the criminals making the laws, enforcing the laws, and in a wall that would be inevitable, a continuation from, from, from one period time period to another. It become an endless wall to maintain staying power. I hear you. All right, we thank you. Let's go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world in the community?
5: Thank you, brother Africa. <laughs> This has been a historic week. Uh, the fascist Donald Trump and his demagoguery and his playing on the backward sentiments of the people and playing on ignorance perpetuating darkness over light and ignorance over intelligence. Uh, this fascist has come, has finally been voted out of office, and um, it's a great week—a uh, time for celebration and unite and, and recognize that we have a a lot more work to be done and and um but unite but recognize that we have a a, pass, a, a marker, a milestone and and uh, it is good. Um I, other than that, uh I don't I don't so much celebrate the the uh, the Biden victory uh so much as uh Trump defeat is more of my concern and we have work to do in terms of Biden and Kamala Harris, Harris and and the whole Democratic Party. Uh, And so, you know, let's let's get to work. Thank you.
3: Thank you, Brother Moses. You know, in terms of sticking to the recent U.S. uh, presidential election, I would like for you all to give me some of your thoughts on some of the things I've been wondering and pondering. As it relates to this election, my first thought about the election is that, based upon many reports, it has been reported that anywhere from as low as one billion to fourteen billion dollars, at a minimum, was invested in this in this particular U.S. election, presidential election. It's anywhere from one to fourteen billion dollars. What's up with that in terms of the degree of money? Why so much money was needed? What does they say? What does that say about a process? You're talking about investment of one to fourteen billion dollars or more. What do you take from that, brother Haki? That 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 should be something where people should have a concern. Why an election will cost that much? Or why would we have? people investing that much money into a lecture, giving the other human needs and resources that the people need at this point in time.
4: Yeah, well, in a nutshell, essentially what we're talking about is organized bribery. And this is important that we have organized bribery. Uh, one of the things is that those positions of power want to ensure is their longevity in terms of control. And as long as they have access to large sums of money, then it gives them an enormous amount of power to control. And so by using that money in terms of funding to politicians, they essentially control the agenda of those politicians. Whereas we like to believe that the politicians have our best interests at heart, but the bottom line is that it's all about money. So we're talking about, essentially we're talking about a process of corruption, legalized corruption, and nobody wants to call it that, but that's precisely what it is. You know, one of the things that if if you made the, the 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 process relatively fair, in which you know everybody have access in terms of actually running uh, for president, and you create some parameters in which you eliminate people based upon you know objective criteria in terms of limit you know, eliminating those if you have you know, large number of people running, the thing you said if you did such a thing that it much and make it much more transparent, then I think would have much more legitimacy in terms of you know as as an institution. But the problem is that, you know, as increasingly as people begin to understand the, the organized corruption, the kind of embroidery that's implicit in terms of the whole uh, presidential election, then it's very, very clear that people, that the presidency of the United States could never serve the interests of the masses of people. And because it can't serve the interests of the masses of people, then you don't realistically expect, in, in that context, for Joe Biden, uh, the president-elect, to actually formulate policies which is geared toward the empowerment of the people in society. It simply won't happen. He's beholden to he's beholden to those positions of power. Already, he's talking about tax cuts, you know, for you know, for corporations, and for the wealthy. Well, damn, they just gave him you just gave him three different tax cuts under the under the orange minutes, Trump. And so, therefore, they're talking about additional tax cuts, even though it does nothing for the economy. But you keep on giving tax cuts to corporations, and to the wealthy. And so it doesn't make sense. So this kind of organized organized bribery, uh, this kind of organized corruption that is taking place. I think increasingly it's becoming more and more visible to more and more people, and that's a very, very, very good thing. The question is what are we going to do, you know, given that background? So it seems to me that one of the things that we have to do, and just in terms of the strategy, we have to think in terms of a third party, a serious third party. But it's one of the things that you've done, you got people like, you know, AOC, you know, who, you know, I mean, she's I mean, she's, she's, she's an individual on the island. I mean, she's actually, you know, she's, she's, she's a voice in the wilderness, actually trying to get people to, give them credit party to account a lot of the corrupt practices, a lot of the bankrupt policies that they endorse, uh, but of course the democratic leadership understand it's all about power and money, and so therefore they're hesitant to to embrace anything that bring about real change so even though conservatives keep telling uh, keep talking about the fact that Democrats talk about uh, defunding the police and uh, and uh and uh, socialism uh that contribute to so many losses in terms of in terms of the house uh, that's far from the truth, and Aoc was absolutely right; it has nothing to do in terms of, you know, elevating discussions around defunding the police or um, socialism. In fact, I don't know of any Democrats who talk, other than Bernie Sanders who talked about socialism. I don't know any Democrat who, who talked about defunding the police. Uh, you know what I mean? They might say that, in fact, you can, you can prioritize the money differently. I mean, you don't have to spend so much money on law enforcement. You can spend money in terms of the community, in terms of the very real needs in the community, and it wouldn't be a bad thing to do. But they're not saying defund the police. So clearly, this attempt in terms to gaslight people to get people thinking something in reality, what they mean is something quite different. So this notion in terms of you know uh, this money in politics is not going anywhere simply because it benefits both Republican and Democratic Party, and, and that's a, and that's and that's the reality of it all. So that's not going to change other Africa. It's not going to change at all. In fact, uh, one of the things uh, you know uh, when we when you talk about the, all these declining economies and you talk about factor you know you know fracturing you know uh, we talk about you know spending. Um, I mean, I mean, billions of dollars, you know, for industry was essentially dead, but yet you continue to finance it. I mean, clearly there's there's corruption involved. And so for people in positions of power and positions of wealth, it's all a game. And so, therefore, they understand it's all a game. And so, therefore, they invested in this game in terms of, you know, continuing this, you know, doing, you know, this, this, this large amount of money uh, going toward the presidential elections. Uh, one of the things, when you talk about six billion, and I close with this, but when you talk about six billion to fourteen billion dollars just for an election, it's insane. What you can do is six, six or fourteen billion dollars in terms of infusing into the real economy, in terms of creation of jobs, in terms of access, you know, to to affordable housing, or in terms of uh, uh, access to uh, uh, um, internet, you know, for poor ch- for for children throughout the throughout the country. Four six to fourteen billion dollars is a lot, a lot of money, and there's so many things you could do with that. But but again, it's really not about the aspirations of the mass of people in society. It's about the proliferation of power for the few, and so therefore they do what they got to do in terms of safeguarding their interests, and their interest lies in more power, and more money, which ultimately means that you know as they gather gather more power, uh, more strength, it means that the uh, people as a whole enjoy less less power. Uh, less visibility, uh, uh, less concern, and in given that in given that paradigm, uh, the bottom line is that you know uh, the bottom line is people are going to have to fight for that which you know is, is by nature, by right, a human right, and, and there is no there's no way of getting around that. So I think that you know just all this money in in, in presidential politics or or politics in U.S. generally is all part of uh, organized uh, legal um, bribery. So I think uh, you know. Um, we have to have that, that third party in terms of combating this. At the very minimum, it seems to me.
3: Brother, most of your take on this large investment in elections, anywhere from one to fourteen billion dollars, why so much money?
5: This is a capitalist system. This is a capitalist electoral process. This is capitalism, and uh, and you know Trump. Oh four hundred and fifty million or so he's coming due next year in terms of his personal debts and stuff. And so it's, it's money involved in terms of the interests of the of the, of the people who are running for office, um, and um and you know, this is the, this is the way it is. Um, until we have socialism we can expect there's gonna be just money buying buying positions ultimately, uh um Although the people united will never be defeated, some if we can people who are organized around grassroots people and and building up their base that way, um, um, that's the hope for the future. But but you know this is capitalism and, and electoral politics is about money and and advertisement and 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 uh, and, and that's 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 reality.
3: Thank you. You know, panelists, uh, one other aspect when I'm looking at this election process, and I, know what's, I wonder what's up with that is this, 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 this issue of um, outside of the money, this issue of the so-called you know, final resorts? When you look at this past administration under the leadership of Donald Trump and the interests of the people, and the conditions of the people, you would think that this election would never have been this close. It makes a statement about the society. As a result of it being so close, a man who have display display an attitude of being positive anti-people class or against the people, a man who has openly um, conveyed his sentiments around the issue of race and class, a man who have frankly broken many rules that you thought was uh, unbreakable, but yet you end up with an election where we're very, very close. What does that say about American society and its people, Brother Hackey? What lessons can we take from that?
4: Brother Africa, you asked a very complex question. Uh, you know, clearly, I mean, uh, you know, his appeal has, for some, has a lot to do with a certain amount of um fraud, a certain amount of willingness or, or, or desire to see people suffer. So there's no question about that. You got those out there who like to see, who like Trump, simply because the perception is that his policies hurt or they debilitate a certain segment of society, and so therefore it's a good thing. Because they like to see the kind of pain inflicted upon people by using the political apparatus. So clearly that exists. But then, too much broader question is: I think it's, it's one of ignorance. I think you know, like as you alluded to, brother Africa, when you talked about the fact that this man is anti-people, and then the fact that these people come out and vote for him, even though he's anti-people, suggests you know that uh, you know, do you do you even care about your own self-interest? Do you only care about the interests of your children, your family, your community, and so forth and so on? So it raises that question. I mean, clearly, but I, I do understand clearly there are those in, 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 you know, among Trump supporters, who are pretty, uh, uh, who are irate, who are very angry at the, uh, this the, the so-called establishment, simply because they understand that the establishment sees poor white people as, as gullible, or what, or what Hillary Clinton called a basket of deplorables. It sees them as somehow, somehow, unimportant in the scheme of things, and certainly that's reflected in terms of economic policy, in terms of low wages. Uh, unemployment, all those things that historically affect You know, uh, African people also affect Poor whites as well, and so therefore This notion that these people, these positions of power Don't care about them is something that a lot of You know, Trump supporters Understand, and they see In in in, in, uh, in Endorsement of Trump as a sort of A, a, a slap in the face of those Positions of power And Not necessarily understanding, you know, that the bottom Line is that, you know, you're, you're not Really, you know, you're not really Creating a, 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 you're not really creating a situation where uh, uh, people in power are slapped in the face Because you got to understand that Trump himself also uh, sees poor white people uh, Poor people generally as a, a, as, a, as a barrel of deplorables And so therefore, well, as, as Hillary Clinton said, a basket of deplorables So therefore, you know, this notion, in fact, that somehow you're getting back at the system doors endorsement, Donald Trump is somehow foolhardy even Donald Trump, I his own mission in terms of his discussion with AIDS we talk about in terms of the backwardness, the, the stupidity of the evangelical class in terms of how stupid they are. They go along with anything that you tell them because they're not very very intelligent. So he has a great deal of contempt, you know, for 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 work, for working, for working, working, working white people. He has a great deal of contempt for working people across the board, not just working white white people. So clearly, you know, uh, this, this question in terms of, you know, understand, understanding self-interest is a very, very pivotal one. But, uh, you know, so, you know, what, I mean, what do you draw the line? I mean, is it, is, it a, is it a situation where people are just blinded by racial hatred, or is it simply a question in terms of, you know, people are so disgusted by the kind of errant treatment that they receive, you know, that they're willing to vote against their own interests? It's a very thin line. It's very difficult to engage exactly what is the real motivation in terms of, why so many people come out and voted for Trump? Uh, you know now, so so I I, I think that brother Africa, you know, uh, it's a very complex question. You know, and um, I'll simply close with that.
3: Brother Moses, your thoughts on the closeness of this election, and what does that say well,
5: about makeup American people? Well, let's say you know we have we understand that capitalism has a machinery of um, Media and a, uh, a war machine that put, put, puts out information and propaganda and misinformation and uh, and tries to play on the backward sentiments of the people. Um, they they have little buzzwords like communism and socialism, and uh, they've already stacked the deck in terms of what people what people uh, viewpoint of, of them are. Uh, they've already defined what communism is and defined what socialism is, and people are repulsed by it. And so, you know, freedom ain't nothing but the word if they used to say back in the day. What's the word Johannesburg? You know, communism. You know, the the word itself uh, you know, incites people. Uh, uh, and uh, Trump has, has skillfully played on the backward sentiments of the people, their ignorance, and he, he he's he's. Um, He's been very skillful. Hitler was very good at it. Uh, uh, but sooner, sooner or later, the truth will shine through, and that's our hope. Um, but yeah, this, there's a lot of work to be done. I mean, there's a lot of people who who don't see consciously the politics and the people and understand the motivations and the idiosyncrasies of the, of the politicians. We have to be astute and. Scientifically examine The individuals and their motivations And understand where they're coming from And where they're going And and know ideologically Whether they're on our side or not And this we we haven't We haven't um, Trained The people uh, Properly in terms of uh, Showing them the correct Correct path uh, And why Trump is is We have patiently explained to people, and this takes time. And the, the media is 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 uh, is, is you know is, is no help on that on that on that level. Um, uh, we have a unity of opposites. The Communists and the fascists have a unity of opposites, and that we saw both saw this as a critical moment in history. Besides, what's in the of what path we're on, whether we're going towards fashion or whether we're going towards socialism. And Trump explained that, and uh, and that's our unity of opposites. Uh, we, we agreed that it, that it was a critical moment, and thank goodness the people came through. Um, but, yeah, we got a lot of work to do. Um, you can't blame the masses for being the masses. Um, we got to get out there and work. Thank you. You
4: know, that's, well, a, that's uh, a very interesting very interesting point you raise, brother, brother Moses. Uh, you know, uh, you know, because one of the things, if you if you explain to people, you know, precisely what socialism is, you know, then they they embrace it, they support it. But you're right. The the, the media has a very does it does promote socialism in a way in which is somewhat ambiguous, and so therefore people really don't understand, you know, what it is. They simply see it as a negative, and so that of course is a testament to the media's ability you know, condition people, program people to, to think of something negative, even though people don't understand precisely what it is. But one of the things that when you talk about socialism in the context of America, you know, and, 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 and one of the things they talk about a lot, they say, well, we don't, you know, we, we oppose command economies. You know, they don't like centrally planned economies. It's bad. You know, it's a bad thing. You know, uh, you know we like free markets. You know, But the bottom line is that but when you look at it in terms of how the United States function, in terms of you look at Wall Street in terms of how it functions, it is centrally controlled. Wall Street allocates the resources. I mean, they control who gets what. I mean, and, uh, and, and not only do they discern, determine who gets what, they provide tons and tons of, 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 of money to individuals that they deem worthy of receiving it. And so, therefore, it, strange enough, so essentially what we're talking about is centralized economy. So we're talking about Wall Street actually determining the course of the, the, course of the economic uh, uh, um, situation in society. So clearly, you know, if people, if people had a problem with socialism, then you should say that, listen, in terms of, in, in terms of for all practical purposes, what Wall Street has done is socialistic, and therefore you should stop it. But the mere fact that the capitalists support Wall Street maneuvers, that they support it, speaks values in terms of how much they oppose socialism. They don't oppose socialism. They oppose the idea that poor people benefit from an economic system. That's the opposition. They don't have a problem with socialism. Because Wall Street is very, very socialistic. Uh, government policies in terms of you know, interest, uh, interest rates, uh, in terms of monetary policy, how much money is in existence, uh, all of that stuff, all of that is socialistic. It has nothing to do in terms of how the economy operates. It has to do in terms of making it possible for wealthy people to have access to that money. So what they're doing is essentially taking money that's earmarked for everybody and taking it to the to, to, to benefit of a small few. It's socialism. But we're not taught to see socialism. we're taught to see it's, it's just the way capitalism works. I'm feathered capitalism It's the way it's supposed to work and so my so my point again is that it's not that they have a problem with socialism per se because they don't have a problem with socialism per se. they have a problem with poor people being front from socialism and so when you talk about poor people actually have access to to, to real shelter to homes and to into apartments and that kind of thing they adamant they, they adamantly oppose that. If you talk about poor children having access to, 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 to computers and Wi-Fi, oh, they absolutely oppose that. When you talk about the people having access to health care, they absolutely oppose that. When you talk, about, you talk about people having a liberal wage, oh, they absolutely oppose that. But if you turn around and say, should these same things be applied to wealthy folks, then you get a totally different response from the elite. They go like, yes, yes, yes. We think wealthy people should have the best life insurance of health care. Yes, we think best. We think white. We we think wealthy people should have the best uh, access to education. Yes, we think white. We think wealthy people should have the the, the access to the best <laughs> to the best to the best housing available. Yes, we think uh, the wealthy should have access to fine food. Yes, yes, yes. We have no problem with that. But we do have a problem with if you're talking about it, if those 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 policies specifically that benefit poor people. That's when wealthy people have a problem with socialism. So you know, I, I agree with you about that, Moses. Is 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 true that people are people are pretty much uninformed in terms of you know governmental systems, and so therefore, whatever the media feeds them, people tend to accept and internalize. And so therefore, the struggle for us is to clarify, you know, what exactly social what socialism really means. Uh, and for those people who say, well, socialism died a long time ago, and, um, and it's, it's very funny, you know, because when people say socialism died, it's like what the hell is that supposed to mean? Socialism died. Socialism is an idea. Ideas live for infamy. Um, infamy. I mean, you don't you, know, you don't destroy an idea. I mean, you might talk about the idea, but it doesn't mean the idea is not out there. It doesn't exist. So, the notion that socialism has been destroyed this is one of those fabrications created by those visions of power to make people think, you know, that the idea of socialism has been long repudiated, and so therefore, don't worry about it. You know, capitalism is on the right track. So clearly, we have we have our work to be work to be done in terms of enlightening people in terms of socialism and what that and what that really means, and understanding that socialism plays plays a, a virtually a, a part of of their of their entire lives. I mean, without without socialism, there'd be no roads in America. Without socialism, there'd be no public schools in America. Without socialism, uh, there won't be Medicare uh, won't be uh, Medicare, Social Security. So you got to have socialism, all societies. On um, some level have to have so, um, socialism. I mean it's inevitable. It's simply a question in terms of how you can use the socialism for the benefit of the masses of people. In America they say, well, listen, we're not going to acknowledge that uh, socialism will be a benefit to people. We're going to continue to tell them that socialism is bad, bad, bad and you need to oppose socialism. And no no question about that, there are those out there who think when you say socialism they think, Oh my God, you know, you're a commie. You know, not understanding that we're talking about two different systems, we're talking about communism versus socialism. Uh, you know uh, So, anyway, so uh, a very good point that you made Brother Moses
3: Hi right, panelists What are we going to do We're going to pause this call We're going to go to a station break General views and uh, inspiration And when we come back We will continue the discussion What's going on in your world And the community You're listening to Africa On the move You have the emergence In human society of this thing that's called the state.
6: What is the state? The state is this organized bureaucracy. It is the police department. It is the army, the navy.
0: It is the prison system, the courts, and what have you. This is the state. It is a
3: repressive organization. But the state, and you,
2: you know, you've got to have the police because they've never no
6: Organize the hood under I Ching banners Red, black, and green instead of gang bandanas FBI spying on us through the radio antennas And I'm hitting cameras in the street like watching society. With no respect for the people's right to privacy. i take a slug for the cause like Huey P. While all you fake niggas try to copy Master P. I want to be free to live. Able to have what I need to live. Bring the power back to the street where the people live. We sick of working for crumbs and filling up the prisons. Dying over money and relying on religion for help. We do for self like ants in a colony. Organize the wealth into a socialist economy. A way of life based off the common needs. And all my comrades is ready, we just spreading the seed. have black male Live a third of his life in a jail cell. Because the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't ever get justice. And the women don't ever get respected. And the problems don't ever get solved. And the jobs don't ever pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? No more bondage. No more political monsters. No more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects. Material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back. Pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in their back than fire back. We tired of that. Corporations hiring blacks, denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap, It's documented, I mean it. Every day of the week I live. In it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding them one, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's c lo for push-ups now. Many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. The average black male lives a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected. And the problems don't never get solved. And the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? We living in a police state.
7: talk man i wouldn't want to hear it his integration been disintegrating better off in our own ghettos with our own situation his last speech got him assassinated black business was booming it wasn't just a consumer controlling our narrative we have more marriages and see what the damage did ain't that by the bitch and welfare did it's way worse than the slavery i'll never be an agent i don't care what they pay me Seemed like Nip had the same old story. If we pay a black hater, tell a different allegory. Like Pearl Harbor and 9 11 was the mystery. Supremacy ago, the extent to keep their history alive. alive. All I'm saying, if these leaders was alive. alive. Who be on the internet trying to divide and use a hotel hustler? Trying to fear people of that low vibe structure. Agree to disagree and we ain't got to tear our own down. Argue a silence will forever be our own downfall. All I want to say is that we're giving it away. Soul ain't for sale and the devil is your fate. Argue with the silence but don't let it seal our fate. Right behind doors but don't ever show our face. Cause I'm on uh I'm on come It be our own people do the trolling. Just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we going? Cause some had hats with and Malcolm hats with It be our own people do the trolling, just be on ignorance and do the scolding. Where we
8: going?
7: Sometimes the key to life you're looking for will be right in front of you. Tried to show my man hidden colors He said nothing new I said what if we've been lied to Most of our freaking lives Henry year coming tonight And you ain't speaking right Your arrogance precedes you What if your faith did I spoke to God on Wednesday He said most of it's basic Million dollar mindset to be flying Stay hungry Hieroglyphic writing on walls You couldn't take from me. <laughs> A man laid dead in the street today I must have bumped my head And landed in 40 is I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to spread my wings. I need to fly away. I wanna get high today. Got five on my little bundle of temporary Man, I want to live long enough to be legendary Your statistics said by now that I'm going to be dead and buried But when I heard your voice, it seems as if we met already In a march for our rights, that civil, the same purpose Two different tribes and we fighting the same person Could it be that our eyes was deceiving us? We had to have faith when nobody believed in us
1: Cosmic companionship sustained me After my husband was assassinated and gave me the strength to make my contribution to carrying forward his unfinished work.
7: A man laid dead in the street today. I must have bumped my head. And landed in 1940. or something. I swear. And all I have is love and joy to give. I need to
9: spread my wings. I need to fly away. The second lesson we wish to speak of is the role of students. Students, of course, have a role in any society, capitalist society, social society, and their role is to institutionalize the values of the given society. Conscious, of course, in a capitalist system, this should be done unconsciously. But students are the spark of revolution. Of course, we make a difference here between revolution and reform. Those who want reform seek to work, I guess, from the top down, those of us who understand fundamental changes know it must come from the bottom up. The students of course always work at the point of ideas in a society. Their job is to acquire knowledge and of course this knowledge which they acquired is scared by an ideology which tells them what to do with it. So if you're a doctor instead of curing cancer you should turn a man to a woman to get money even though she can't make babies. (laughs) That was life. (laughs) Students we say at the point of ideas and the point of values. When one speaks of revolution, one speaks of overturning the values of a given society. If one is not speaking of overturning the values, then one speaks of reform. Thus one can join the Democratic Party. We're not here to overturn its value. But certainly if one is here for revolution and one is here for people's liberation, one would know that a corrupt instrument can never lead a people to liberation at all. Students then, we say, come to question the values of a society. Of course, in relationship to the values, students, just like anyone in a society, have but two alternatives. Either they accept the values or they reject the values. It's as simple as that. Of course, if they reject the values, they have a responsibility to find alternative values. But either you accept cheating as a student or you reject it. It's as simple as that. Either you accept any value in a society or you reject it. Students, once having rejected a society, Bringing together their ideas and their energies and strength to work against these values connected with the masses always give us revolution. Thus from the sixties, while a reform movement, we were able to see that students joined with the masses of the people came to bring a lot of changes to the country. Thus we must not confuse ourselves. The job of students is clear here. Their job is to spark revolution. Students cannot carry revolution through to the end. The final triumph of revolution must be carried through to the end by the masses, the workers and the peasants. But students play a crucial role. We say they spark revolution. Certainly if we did not recognize this, the enemy did. The FBI before the sixties did not have informers on college campus. After the sixties they put an informer on every college campus in the country. Their job was simple, stop any activity at all that runs against the status quo. We say it's mobilize people who can allow this, because when you're mobilized and fight like an animal, after you get tired and you wind down, then the enemy comes back stronger than he did before. Students spark revolution, and we must work everywhere to have students live up to their responsibility of sparking revolution. Here, of course, it calls for the students properly understanding the role of knowledge. Knowledge has but one purpose. Its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Knowledge has but One purpose its purpose is to alleviate the sufferings of humanity. Capitalism is a backward and stupid system. Capitalism is a contemptuous system. Capitalism is a system based on profit. It will make a commodity out of everything. It will take my mother and sell her on a slave block. It will make students acquire knowledge and make them sell their knowledge on the slave block to advance themselves rather than serving humanity. The struggle becomes especially crucial for African students. We say no individual African in this country makes any advance unless it is a result as mass struggle. Any student sitting in any seat in any college in America know that they didn't gain that seat through their own individual talents, but only through the struggles of the masses of their people. Thus, That seat belongs to the people. The knowledge they acquire there must be used for the people, otherwise they have already betrayed the people and have repeated errors.
3: like to welcome you back to Africa on the Moon as we took our session break of music inspiration. We were discussing what's going on in our world and the community. And we're about to bring our panelists back. And as we're discussing, um, trying to understand what's going on, or as we would say, what's up with that as it to this U.S. presidential election. Panelists, I would like to get y'all to respond to this particular phenomenon that I noticed looking at this election. And it goes like this. If one listened to the analysis of the victory, of the so-called victory by, by the Bond camp, one would conclude that there was a coalition of many um, groups that allowed him to achieve the winning of this election. Whereas, if you look at Trump-based group, it was basically of one particular segment of the community, and it was, you know, your European community as a whole. If you did a breakdown, you will see they probably would have had more votes from the European community alone, a lot more than what Biden would have. Biden had a combination of the so-called left, the African community, the Asian community, the Latino community and some of the European community and even a small segment of some of his opposition within his own party, Republican Party. Given the fact of this particular dynamic. And the seal stated that and I think Brother Hackie you alluded to it earlier, and I like to talk see if we can talk a little bit more about why the Democratic Party would never be loyal and faithful to those groups that have historically been loyal to the Democratic Party and those groups who need services the most. This argument around or this criticism against some of the so-called members within the Democratic Party who are considered to the left and progressive, as they were the ones who were responsible for losing seats in the House of Representatives because of this question of putting the concept of so-called socialism on, on, on the agenda or this concept of defunding the police or this concept of having health care for all people. These are the kind of ideals that um, frighten men and causing them to lose our seats, which means looking at this upcoming administration, there will be the same rationale why they will refuse to deal with any issues that has been important to the so-called the left and progressive segment of that particular party. My question to, to the panelists at this point in time, how do the left, the progressive movement within the Democratic Party, come to realization that the Democratic Party do not value them as a partner? Brother Haki, Moses, and Anthony, your response. With brother
4: Hake. You, know, but, you know, brother Africa, the the, the the bottom line is this: both parties are committed to capitalism. And let's let's be very clear on that point. Because they're committed to capitalism, this notion in terms of equality, this this notion in terms of you know equal wages, I mean fair wages, this notion in terms of access to education you can understand something. All those things are identical to the interests of, of the capitalist class. And so, therefore, you know, uh, the Democratic Party, uh, being a, uh, a, a a minion of, of the capitalist class, have no desire whatsoever in terms of actually mm-hmm. forming those ideas or those policies those, or, or, or articulating those values which are in conflict with the capitalist class. Let's be very clear on that about it. Um, uh, mm-hmm. Pelosi... And Schumer are just as conservative as any Republican in terms of in terms of you know the maintenance of the system. None are committed in terms of truly changing the system. They're not. Uh, the problem is that you're absolutely correct. If in fact if they will embrace the kind of change or embrace the kind of support they've been receiving through the years. You know, from you know, from the African community, from the Latin community, from the Asian community, uh, from the uh, Muslim community, from the poor white community. If they embrace those individuals in terms of their concerns, the Democratic Party would be unstoppable. No, just no question about that. But the mere fact that they continue to reject the interests of those those coalitions speaks volumes in terms of their allegiance to capitalism, and that's very very clear. There's much money to be made in terms of the allegiance to capitalism as terms of, as opposed to actually trying to bring about a more just, harmonious society, and, and this is what this is the struggle that we seem to have. So if you think that Biden, in a position of power, is going to fundamentally uh, reject uh, the cap, the, the capitalist uh, uh, value systems, of course he's not going to do that. Will he embrace those capitalist value systems? Of course he's going to embrace it. Does that what does that mean for the masses of people in society? It means business as usual. Very very simple. It's not rocket science. And why people keep on thinking that for every four years that these people in positions of power, somehow they're going to fundamentally, you know, um, um, change the way the way, things, way business operates, is foolish. Uh, you know, I thought after Barack Obama spent his eight years in, in the White House, and, and I thought at that point people come to the realization, you know, that, you know what, it really doesn't matter who's in the White House. that Essentially they all follow the same script. And that is they kowtow to the interests of the powerful, to the capitalist class. And that's precisely what it's all about, so Barack Obama's presidency did absolutely nothing in terms of bringing about fundamental change in society desperate so desperately needs. need, and you've got to understand one, a couple of things i think mean, one you, you i mean like i say there's there's money to be made in terms of you know playing ball i mean you know once they leave office, I mean they got jobs of making hundreds of thousands of dollars just for a mere speech i mean so you' so it's a real incentive to play ball. Also, secondly, that's a, that's a the, the very real fear, and I think Barack Obama expressed that, that they will kill you. That if you actually try to implement real change in the society, they will kill you. The last person who actually tried to implement real democracy in, this, in American society was with was, was John F. Kennedy. John F. Kennedy was killed. His brother was killed. They sent the example that you're not going to change this paradigm. This is the way things are supposed to be. Wealthy people are in control, and that's the way it's always going to be. Unless people stand up and say, listen, enough is enough and willing to take a stand in terms of bringing about an uh, interest in sanity, it's not going anywhere. And this whole democratic of nonsense, it's, it's just it's, it's sad. But you look at all kinds of – when you talk about the billions of dollars they spent in terms of promoting this idea that democracy exists, you know, it's all fear. All and it's nothing to do with reality. As long as the masses of people keep continuing to bond to that ridiculousness, nothing's going to change. Now, keep me, don't get me wrong now. A lot of people know it's a sham. A lot of people know it's a facade. People only voted this time, you know, uh, higher than forty percent. This time only because they hated Trump that much, not because they realized the process is a, legi- a legitimate process. They understand the process is very, very corrupt, but it just had a, vitri- a very, um, a very intense hatred of Donald Trump that compelled people to come out and vote. Not because they think that the process is fair equal, that their interests are going to be reflected in terms of the, uh, in terms of the new, part, the, new the new administration. So, Brother Africa, you know, uh, it's, it's clear. And AOC has been very, very upfront in terms of the kind of corruption, the kind of uh, bankruptcy that exists with respect to the Democratic Party. And then, the thing is that in, in, if she persists in terms of you know, her critique of the, her very real critique, very objective critique of the Democratic Party, they're going to spend billions and billions of dollars to get her out of, the, out of that seat. But, you know, power to that sister in terms of her, 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 her tenacity her willingness to stand up and speak truth to power because there are not many in in in, in you know on in that body uh in that congressional body who are willing to stand up and speak truth to power. So clearly, you know, Democrats uh you know it's all of facade and you know and it's important that people understand the nature of that uh, deception.
3: Brother after your response to this whole question irregardless of the law you support to many of these segments of the community, to the Democratic Party they will still refuse to acknowledge and address their concerns and needs. What well, lesson must be drawn from that?
10: Yes, the fact uh, the fact is that the Democratic Party has no respect for the African community. And um, and um, bear in mind that uh, just a, a couple observations here. One. The Latin community is not monolithic. Neither is the African community, which is why the, the, uh, you know the, uh, you know there was a certain amount of support for Trump among Africans that are uh, that are eligible to vote. At the end of the day, people look out their cla- look out for their class interests, and those tend to run deeper than uh, the the, the nationality or ethnicity, which is why you had uh, certain segments of the uh, so-called Latin community uh, voting for Trump, because a lot of them came, uh, uh, you you, you know, uh, uh, were fleeing countries that were trying to develop socialism in their own countries. So they uh, so they are not going to support anything that's going to you know uh, uh, you know shift the paradigm leftward. Uh, also, uh, let's see. Also reflected in the uh, in the blind support for the Democratic Party is a lack of knowledge of, of history. People for, tend to forget that the Democratic Party. Was the party of the Slaveocracy Still is And uh, You know and that's One of the the underlying Reasons why uh, uh, The Democratic And Republican parties will not Come out against capitalism They will not And uh, And uh, if we want Genuine change we have To put the work in to build our own independent political organizations, independent of the Republican-Democratic duopoly, and uh, voting is is merely a start, it, uh, but it's insufficient given the state that we're we're in as a people in this society today. Voting is not sufficient. We have to form our own independent political organizations, and uh, and we have to study history uh, very carefully. That neither neither wings of the duopoly have ever represented our interests.
3: Response, Brother Moses. Okay, let me bring
5: Brother Moses in. We got you there, Brother Moses. Your response, Brother Moses. Oh, I'm sorry. Parties are are, are put together and organized in order to perpetuate and advocate for the interests of a class. And obviously the Democrat and Republican Party were founded on the bourgeois class and advocate the interests of the bourgeoisie. Now, we need a... Third party, of uh, independent party, that's going to advocate for the working class and for the interests of the masses of the people. Uh, uh, if a party isn't isn't running for office, isn't trying to actually affect government to take, either the party is, is is organizing for revolution and uh, and has a plan. That somehow the people are going to be able to choose their leaders. Uh, I don't, you know, otherwise it's like there's no real plan. If if it hadn't been thought through, as to how this is going to happen, how how change is going to take place, there must be a concrete plan that's not based on just the idea out in the air, floating in the air with no material basis to it. And so we need people who are going to actually. Take up the the reins of government and uh, and uh, and look out for the interests of the working class. And sooner or later, that's going to happen. No matter how how change takes place, there's going to have to be an organization of people who are who are looking out for the interests of the working class. And the working class must have a way of choosing these people. The working class must have a say in this. Uh, Leadership doesn't just happen without uh, uh, any kind of electoral process uh, taking place. I just don't see how that's the that's what democracy is all about. And as a communist, I'm I'm one of the greatest defenders of democracy. That's we're for a new democracy, uh, uh, a a democracy that. uh, that's in words and in deeds, and not just uh, uh, rhetoric. And so, you know, we have to struggle for that new democracy. Uh, and this is where the movement is taking place now as we we clarify who our friends and who our enemies are and who, who's, who's for us and who's against us and uh, who's clear and who's vague and who's, who's just... Out in rhetoric and who's actually uh, taking up the struggle, and so you know we 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 got a, a big task ahead of us. And, and uh, but but a, a party, a political party means politics. It means government and influencing and uh, having the say in the government structure. Otherwise, we're not even talking about politics. We're talking about some kind of social group. Thank you.
3: You know, panelists, um, I would like to get your response as we talk about what's going on now with the community. You know, probably before this pandemic, COVID-19, there was a big digital divide between the oppressed communities and the non oppressed communities. And recently, since we're looking at this issue of this pandemic that's going on, and they talk about an increase in the next coming months while they're talking about that increasing but while at the same time they are suggested no. to start having our children to go back into physical school settings. One of the things that were raised last week uh, with me while talking to some friends of mine that I thought was of interest because a lot of times issues that affect uh, our communities, oppressed communities one of the things that happened to those issues is that they, they are just not acknowledged and not talked about. And recently brought to me, and I'm I sure not just in this city, but in other cities, are you but there are certain areas in, in the cities where the parents cannot and do not have access to Wi-Fi. Therefore, the children cannot go online to do their lessons, which means these children are getting father and father left behind because there are no way to instruct them or have them receive instruction to continue their education. And not and not much said about it other than, you know, that they are being given the blame because they happen to live in an area where what Fact does not exist or if it does exist, they don't have the resources to pay for it. How do we address the other issue, Palace.
10: Uh We have to get better organized as a people, and we have to. Uh, and um, you know, there's an old saying uh, that uh, Frederick Douglass articulated many years ago: "Power conceives nothing without demand, and it never did. It did, and and it never will." And the thing about it, though, if we want control of the education of our youth, especially, we have to organize to seize, uh, you know, the, the the power to do that. And uh, right now, uh, you know, the fact that, that 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 point you brought up, brother Africa, was not even touched upon by the uh, duopoly speaks to how seriously uh you know that uh that the, they take uh the issues of the masses uh because it was not it was not uh you know uh, 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 a big a I- issue during these uh, legislative and presidential campaigns in certain local areas it was but uh but again that speaks to the need for us to form our own independent political organizations that can speak to our needs and not just the interests of the uh, capitalist ruling class.
3: Thank you, Anthony. Brother Moses, Haki, response. How do you see this issue or dealing with this issue not only to genuine digital digital divide that historically has taken place, but even more concrete, just the base reality is that we are structured in a in a situation where, just to give information, we don't have the basics to receive it, particularly when you're talking about our youth today. Like I said earlier, I said, in many areas in inner cities, Wi-Fi does not exist, and even if it does exist, the parents don't have the money to pay for it. So why
1: is it that the children must
4: be punished for it? Well, you know, one, one of the things, you know, Brother Africa, um, you know, historically, you know, one of the things that happened, you know, right after Reconstruction uh, when the poor Africans didn't have the resources to pay to go to school, one of the things the African ancestors did was they created scholarships to make sure that those Africans who couldn't afford it uh, had access to education. So what they did uh, they took the meager resources among them. They used those to, to, to ensure that those Africans who didn't have resources had access to education. So I think a similar kind of thing has to happen in the context of the 21st century. I think we have to come to the realization that we understand that uh, the system is antithetic to, or in opposition to the interests of African people. That is very very clear. Uh, the question in terms of class is one that we have to address because clearly there are those you know in African community position is that well, I got Wi-Fi, the hell with them. I mean, we understand that mentality, and we understand that. And so they in in and, 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 and saying that, they, don't, they fail to understand, you know, that your survival, the survival of your children, hinges on this, uh, the uh, the growth of those children that surround him or her. And so, therefore, it's in your interest, in your long-term interest, to have a community uh, that all the children have access to, to education because it's in your long-term interest. But we don't think like that because as long as we think in terms of class, then we think that I got mines later for them. And that is, is a problem. And, of course, we could say theoretically, you know, that uh, the, 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 the government uh, theoretically should be responsible for ensuring that kids have access to education by ensuring that if the Wi-Fi doesn't exist in that community, then to ensure that at the very minimum there is some setup somewhere in which the kids will have access to Wi-Fi to ensure the continuation of the educational process. But again, I'm just being, I'm just being uh, uh, hypothetical because I do understand that the government doesn't have the interests of African people at heart. And particularly when you talk about poor African people, it doesn't have the interests at heart. So having that reality then, it's, it's come upon us to create the conditions in the neighborhood to, to ensure that the children, the least among us, get what they need. It doesn't take a tremendous amount of resources. All it takes, what resources, what meager resources we have access to Working together to make it a reality. And mostly, it takes participation of people working together to make sure, you know, that the the, the question of education becomes a reality for our children, uh, irrespective of what the government does. And and, and, I, and I hate to say this, but the bottom line is that as society deteriorates, as the economic system declines, the bottom line is that you know, no, whether we want to believe it or not, the reality is that if we don't become more self-sufficient. We're in trouble anyway. and That's just a cold reality. I know a lot of people don't want to hear that. They much rather believe that, you know, that if it's going to be all right, uh, you know, if you just believe it's going to be okay. But, you know, history doesn't work that way. And certainly when you look at in terms of uh, the leading economic indicators of society in terms of employment or you talk about in terms of, you know, access uh, uh, to investments and you look at all the kind of things that determine, you know, what makes the society function, then clearly this, the system is in decline. And so understanding that, I think, is important that we understand that a certain amount of self-sufficiency is urgent, that we have to have it. We don't have any choice. We can we can even afford to say, you know what, I got mine, hell, let them get theirs. Because you know what, you got yours now, but in five years, you're to have yours. So, you know, so this is the, the 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 paradox that we're confronted with in terms of what's going on in society. So, but in order to get to that point understanding, you know, why we have to be self-sufficient, we, it does, it's important to understand some of the history in terms of the race of our people, in terms of the way in which we deal with oppression. Because we haven't always been, you know, sitting around waiting for other people to, to, to you know, to, to, help us. We've been always been self-sufficient. So this notion that in fact if we have to be dependent on the government is an erroneous assumption, and we don't have to be dependent on the government. Of course, we pay taxes, and it'd be ideal for the government would actually would utilize those taxes for the benefit of the people. But you know, you, but the bottom line is that you can compel the government to do a damn thing. Particularly when his when his uh, when his when his priority is not necessarily the interests of his people. So why the hell would they even do something that's in the interest of people if their if their policies, the very laws that govern these institutions say that your lives are unimportant? So this is so this is the struggle that we have in terms of you know this the society. So it's to come upon us, you know, as as a community that we have to start thinking about these these very real questions. And this, this, this classism and this notion in terms of the selfishness, you know, and all this kind of stupidity that exists in our minds, we have to begin to question. Because, you know, if we don't create some working uh, uh, some working um, system in terms of dealing with this injustice in the society, then we're in trouble anyway. So the key is, you know, people have to break up and work together to create, to give our children what they need. I think that's just the bottom line.
3: Yes, we have to apply our theory to
5: the concrete struggle and that, that means we gotta get involved, we gotta run for office, we gotta be on the school boards, we gotta be in the in the city council in order to deal with these day to day struggles such as this, such as uh the Wi Fi divide and stuff, uh we have we have to demand the resources from from we, as taxpayers and uh, and uh we have to demand it from the government and these these kind of reforms are 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 not as not as uh radical as 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 uh as socialism and communism in terms of the overall federal government taking up just being uh uh converted to socialism. Uh, but these day to day struggles such as Wi Fi we 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 have a local local people who who should be in the struggle. We should be able to convince our city council, our, our school boards and, and and leaders and you know, the community and the churches and all should get involved and understand the problem and and be about solving it. Uh but this 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 is, the, to me, to the school board and uh, the city council are the keys to this. Thank you.
3: You know, panelists, I think we have to really look at critically what's, what's taking place today as it relates to the intensification of the U.S. propaganda, not only inside of how it's being viewed, but also outside and how we are continually to be used as tools to push the ruling class agenda. For example, let's have a look dialogue on the issue of what were the positive and negative aspects of the imagery and the choosing of Pamela Harris as relates to African people. And how do y'all think people outside of the U.S. review African people from within, in the context of our relationship to this overall government and these policies that are affecting the world. Mm-hmm. By choosing Pamela Hertz, was that a good thing for African people here inside of the United States as well as throughout the world, panelists? Or was that another no. tool that we are. Used and abuse Let's talk about that because we got to be very careful of how this propaganda is played out and how they use individuals that may not be in the best interest of our collective interest and will. Brother Anthony, start us off. what's your take on that?
10: Certainly, uh, looking at Kamala Harris's political history, she does not have the interests of the masses of African people at heart. Judging by uh, you know just the position she's taken, how she's used her office, uh, you know, to advance herself, but not to um, advance uh, the masses of African people. Uh, you know, she uh, she's per, uh, she's uh, persecuted uh, uh, a lot of Africans under. Uh, her administration at, when, when she was a Attorney General in California and, uh, and throughout her life She's been a staunch supporter of Zionism And again, and, uh, and that's an important concern Because a lot of Africans to this day Are very confused about the Zionist question it not only affects the Palestinian people directly, but also affects uh, Africans throughout the world uh, directly. And uh, so, um, and, uh, you know, the the political positions that, uh, you know, that she's taken and that Biden has taken for that matter show that they do not have the interests of African people at heart. And uh and the thing about it though, uh we've got to understand that our, our oppression is systemic. It is not about the ethnicity or the nationality of the people that occupy these offices. Uh the uh uh the Obama administration should have taught us that much. and so we're leading we're going down uh the same uh you know empty path that we have been for nearly uh 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 135 years
4: my hey, brother Africa, you know it depends on you know um you know um you know you know uh, what wait i mean were you talking about her impact in terms of uh, it depends on what you're talking, nationally or internationally. Now, if you're talking nationally, I mean, killing, you know, her elevation, you know, to the to the to the VP's office is uh, is a very good thing for the for the status quo for the powers that be, simply because she epitomizes all the negative things, all the wrong things uh, that we, African people, or oppressed in society, have been fighting for a long, long time. The kind of opportunism, the kind of individualism, the kind of selfishness uh, permeates her very soul, and so when you have, you know, you know I mean, we have, um, you know, hundreds of thousands of people Who are incarcerated in California And she has the opportunity to eliminate, you know, some of those hardships You know, based upon something as trivial as someone smoking a a marijuana cigarette And her refusal to do so Big values in terms of her antagonism or her opposition to humanity generally And African humanity specifically So clearly, uh, you know, but for those individuals in the the African community Who embody those same values she's uh encouraged. she's she's a uh, she's a star she's someone to be lionized someone to be respected someone to be emulated and so for them, I think they would say, yeah well hey well, I want to be like Tamala Har- Harris you know so but if you talk internationally and you promote it and you look at the kind of advice and she upholds and brother Anthony talked about the fact that she's a strong advocate of Zionism certainly one of the things that we don't want to um we we, we certainly one of the things we don't want to um uh uh Reinforce this is a notion that in fact that in fact we support Zionism because we understand historically uh, that what Zionism means to the Palestinian people and to the oppressed people that we understand clearly the kind of injustices and dignity inflicted upon the oppressed people. So our struggle has always been to identify with the oppressed, never with the oppressor. So therefore, but she, uh, you know, of course, but, but, but having her elevated to office of vice president in her, her defense of Zionism. Um, may compel, compel people to believe in the fact that African people support Zionism across the board. And that would be sad, uh, you know, if, if that were to happen. But uh, given her history, though, in terms of, you know, her, her policies, I, 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 can, I can see her endorsing Zionism, you know, uh, you know um, in a way in which uh, uh, it, it we maybe have some credibility, you know, to in the minds of people, you know, throughout the world. So I think again, in terms of the power structure, the system. I mean, and she's she's a perfect individual in terms of elevating. I mean, promoting this notion that African people are pretty much on board with the injustices, uh, the systemic injustices, or or, or or harm inflicted upon humanity by by America, and that African people, because we support you know such atrocities against people around the world, that we begin to see African people in, in a similar light, and that's very very dangerous. And I, I'm hoping that people have the, correct, the kind of political sophistication. We understand that Tamil Harris, by no stretch of imaginations, uh, epitomizes or sums up, you know, the African character, you know, and, you know of those, you know, those Africans, you know, born in the United States, in terms of those, you know, uh, you know, up the fight in terms of trying to bring a more just and harmonious society, a more just and harmonious world into existence. But I think, uh, from a political point of view, you're absolutely correct, brother Africa. The the propaganda, the propaganda. Uh, the benefits from the propaganda uh, using Kamala Harris in terms of promoting her and her ideas. I think for the people in positions of power, I think it's immense. I think it's, it's I think it's very very clear, you know, that they understand they see a benefit here in terms of you know uh, um, while at the same time delegating uh, um, 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 while at the same time um, undermining uh, African interests here in America uh, at the same token, you know, uh, um, discouraging you know uh, African empowerment throughout the world. So I think for those issues of power, I think she epitomizes everything that the ruling class sees in a leader. So I'm, unfortunately, you know, uh, you know, that's just the way it is. And uh, because we, you know, we're at war, and we understand that everything they do is specifically for strategic regions. Nothing they do is because of because of you know because of their concern of, for uh, humanity. It's all it's all about strategic advantage. And so therefore, they can use somebody like Tamala Harris to promote the most negative things for African people. Uh, Then they would do so. And so she'd certainly be a willing uh, accomplice in terms of serving that
3: end. Brother Moses, what's your take? Let me see here, Brother Moses on the line. If not, what we're going to do right quick, panelists and analysts, we're going to take a quick break and when we come back we want to sum up this discussion in terms of what's going on in our world and your community and this is going to be a two part series of what's up with this so take a break don't go nowhere we'll be right back this is Africa on the move
5: alright mm-hmm.
1: Palestine 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 needs our love, needs our our love. Palestine, Palestine 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 needs her freedom. freedom. Palestine 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 needs our love.
3: That's right. Palestine, all oppressed people need their freedom. Welcome back to Africa on the Move. Our theme tonight is What's Up With This. This is part one of a two-part series. We've been discussing what's going on in our world and the community with our panelists and analysts tonight, and we will continue this discussion next week, part two, dealing with What's Up With This. So right now, what we would like to do in terms of our final closing, we would like to ask each of our panelists and analysts, maybe to give their final thoughts. On today's program, and before we do that, there is an important announcement we would like to make coming up this Saturday on the 14th of November at 12 a.m. That you will be able to hear the program live on this particular network as well as other social media mediums. We will bring in our brother Anthony and ask him to talk about. Upcoming commemoration of the Revolutionary Life of Kwame Ture And how they can find out more About that program Brother Anthony will you give our listening audience some information On the upcoming program This Saturday November 14 Saturday 12 noon Eastern time U.S. On the commemoration of the Revolutionary Life of Kwame Ture Formerly known as Dr. Carmichael
10: Certainly the All-African People's Revolutionary Party GC is organizing a commemoration of the revolutionary life of Kwame Ture. Our theme this year, if Africa's children cannot alleviate her suffering, we can at least share them fully. And in order to help us uh, carry out this trip. we've invited uh, uh, different uh, Pan Africanist organizations uh, from the continent and the diaspora to talk about uh, the uh, the work they're doing to continuing in the spirit and work of uh, of Osashe uh, Nkrumah, and Kruma Secretary and Kwame Ture. Some of the featured organizations include Osasha Folk Movement of Ghana, uh, represented by Mama Apia Amakwa, and Africanist Congress of Azania, represented by Zeth Mbudu. And uh, Friends and Parti de la Revolution Populaire Africana de Guinea, represented by Ishmael Konde. Uh, Friends of the Congo, represented by Maurice Carney. And Victory of, of the People of Guyana, represented by Gerald Pereira. And you can find out more details by visiting our website wwwa A P R P gcorg And uh you can uh, and you can also tune in to find out how to how to listen in to the program scheduled for Saturday, November fourteenth at twelve noon. Thank you, brother Anthony
3: Brother And in terms of your final thoughts for the night. As we discuss various issues, um, what are some of the things you'd like to maybe uh, refreshing in the minds of our listening audience that they need to be aware of? Brother hacking.
4: Yeah, yeah, well, you know, the, the, the challenges that we face are not going to change. So I certainly hope there are not people out there who actually believe that the election of uh, Joe Biden is, in fact, is going to fundamentally change the paradigms that uh, we're confronted with. The bottom line is that we're in for a fight, and, uh, you know, we can't divorce our fight from the decline of the economy. You know, as the economy continues to decline, uh, the repercussions for African people increases greatly, and uh, there's, there's this relationship, uh, you know, is one you know, between, you know, uh, the oppressed and the oppressor, and understanding that, I think we have to understand that those people in positions of power make choices in terms of those people that they perceive as somehow frivolous. And, of course, in the context of capitalism, we have to understand that, you know, uh, those who don't have access to money and power are, in fact, privileged. And and if we talk about the African community, we're we're exceptionally uh, uh, problematic for the system. So like any system that seeks to maintain its longevity, the thing we have to understand is that if that longevity means destruction of African people, then you know what the choice they're going to make? Well, the choice is clear for them. Josses did well. These people got to go, and so some people may see this as somewhat um, over the top. The bottom line is the history, in terms of uh, when when economies decline, and the, the the result is the elimination of non of people, has been demonstrated over and over again in terms of the history of Nazi Germany, or we look at the country of Rwanda and uh, Central Central Africa in terms of what happened in terms of uh, what happened to the Tutsis in terms of you know as economies decline. And the repercussions of all that So clearly, you know, we, we got we got some problems ahead of us And we, we have to seriously think about the implications of this, of this, this is decline And one of the things that's very, very clear uh, This notion that somehow that somehow uh, America can defeat China In terms of maintaining its control of the world Is, is an illusion China's already the number one economic power in the world And in ten, five short years it be a major military power in the world So there's a notion that, in fact, that they can somehow Overtake China is an illusion. So we can't get caught up in that illusion. We have to understand that, for, for all intents and purposes, our struggle here is right here in America, and we have to be prepared for whatever comes down the road. And I close with that, brother Africa. But as always, I say to people, you know, you know, please take time to unravel the matrix, because that is key. Because lot some understanding in terms of what systematically is going on, there's no way to systematically create a response to something, you know, that's very organized and very, very deep and very, very concise. So. I want not say that, Brother Africa, you have a good night.
3: Say it you, Brother Aki. Next, we go to Brother Moses. Brother Moses, you found it to us for tonight. Yeah.
5: Yeah, it's been interesting. Um, I think, thank you for allowing me to be on the show. Um, I think, you know, we have to we have to understand politics. We've got to understand government and how government works and what we can do and what we can't do. And we have to get involved we have to actually participate in the government uh if we're gonna get these day to day reforms um uh, such as wi um we if these things are possible and we have to we have to have the serenity to accept the things that we can't change change the things we can't accept and know the difference between the two and we can't just talk about um uh, uh abstractions like women and uh if you want a wife, you have to look at the, the concrete woman and know her personality and know her, her, her motivations and know her idiosyncrasies. And it's the same with politics. You have to know the political people. We have to, you can't just generalize about people, but you've got to know the particularities and what's possible and what's impossible. And knowing that Trump is a fascist is key. Uh, knowing that he's no different from Hitler is key. And so, you know, we have to nip this thing In the bud, stop it while we can And uh, the, And so, you know, I think, you know You know, politics is About government and that's, you know If we're not actually Getting our hands into The government system and supporting Those people who are, represent us And who do, do Represent our views uh, And trying to get people in there Who do represent our views uh, But Sooner or later, you know, we need a whole new government. It's true, but it's not going to just pop out of the sky. It's going to be because of people who shown leadership and uh, and vision and purpose and and gain our trust, and then we support those people. And uh, so, anyway, in the a of struggle, and the struggle
3: continues. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses, Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for tonight.
5: My final thought for
10: tonight is that we that is that voting is not sufficient. We have to join uh, political organizations that are working for our people's liberation. One such organization is the All African People's Revolutionary Party GC. And uh, and uh, and and for those people who don't think that's uh, uh, that's sufficient, join an, uh, join an organization or create your own organization. But uh, we must be organized as a people. Pulling uh, pulling uh, the going in the voting booth to pull the lever ever, every election cycle is not going to do it. We have to be permanently organized as a people. And for
3: more information, can you repeat the website again, Brother
10: Anthony? Certainly. www.a-aprp-gc.org. You can find out more information about uh, the political line, history, and program of the or African People's Revolutionary Party G C.
3: And the seminar this Saturday, November 14th, twelve noon. Is that correct?
10: That is correct.
3: All right, brothers and sisters, check out the seminar a little more about the revolutionary life and lessons of Brother Kwame Ture. You know, this battle is a battle of real ideals, it's a battle of moving <laughs> down the correct path and road that will give our people Is true liberation and freedom and free Mother Africa. So until next time, like always, Africa on the Move, we encourage you to always subscribe to Go Forward Apple, Backwards Never. This is a program that comes on weekly every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We ask you to share the word, share the word, spread the word. Come and join us. And remember, we are in this thing together with their uh, unity, their uh, strength. So, again, we thank you for your
1: uh,
3: your support. We thank you for allowing us come to come your homes this evening, and we leave you with our brother Abu uh, Abdul and last Port Palmino.
2: my journey yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 Made it through my journey Made it through my journey Hello Reno. A bloodline across the waters from Benin to Salvador Bahia a scar More pure, more alive Where death spent many lonely nights Pacing the floors of his funeral parlor, Waiting for someone to die Pellerino, a French word Called the place of torture Became a place of strength A place where faces of white saints Became faces of black gods Where haunted visions and demons Became healing visionaries And Orishas from the motherland And Jesus rejoined his kinfolk and was reborn and baptized in the sound of sensual skin turned up to dance to inspire a fire like the sun pronouncing his presence palerino was the tongue of the flame licking the eyes of those who have tried to remain blind shining a light on a spirit that would not be denied know the chains in that break. Did not enslave the music of my soul Did not shackle the will of my freedom Did not tarnish the glow of my gold And all the Pelorinos in Africa, in Europe, in North and South America Cannot destroy the majesty of my people The love of my people Shining like the sun Everywhere we go Everywhere we go we- the light is clear Oh, how beautiful I will be To know that I've been here And made it through my journey, yeah And made it through my journey, yeah Hey, 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 what's hey, brother, what's up? Hey, I'm doing? This is hey, a stupid you know party, it? man yeah, I can dig
0: like it. Like it Right on There's too many of you to cry Brother, brother, brother There's far too many of you that You see, oh, it's not the answer, for only love can come to hate, you know we've got to find a way, to bring some love and keep here today, so, take a you mm-hmm.
8: Hack the cities that stagger on the coastline In a nation that just can't stand much more Like the forest buried beneath the highway Never had a chance to grow Never had a chance to grow It's a winter Winter in America Yeah, it's about all of the heroes Have been killed Sent away Yeah, but the people know The people know
9: come from the bottom up from the masses of the people up it is here then that we've come to see the real aspect of pan-africanism we said that in the fifth pan-african congress they called for mass organizations and immediately mass organizations sprang up throughout the length and breadth of the african world the conventional people's party a mass party sprang up in ghana the democratic party of guinea a mass party sprang up in guinea throughout the length and breadth of africa you had the tanu the tanzanian african national union which is now the ccm my Swahili is uh, not as good as yours, it's Chimpa, Chimpuraza, Mazuri. That's very good. Oh, <laughs> my, my Swahili is bad. <laughs> Thank you. Exactly, exactly. And uh, that's their new party. But all over Africa, mass parties sprung up. If you look at the Caribbean, mass parties sprung up. And if you look at the United States, mass movements sprang up. So the call was heated for mass confrontation. Of course, the 5th Pan-African Congress made two definite and precise resolutions, which I want to uh, highlight. Of course, Pan-Africanism from the very beginning was anti-colonial. From the very beginning, it was anti-colonial. It was weak. So when they came, they didn't say to the Queen, we're going to put you out of the country. They said, you must treat the natives right. You must educate them. You must prepare them for self-government. These are things that are weak. But they were anti-colonial in essence. We must not look at the form. And we get stronger, the more this anti-colonialism will express itself. Now, anti-colonialism is nothing but anti-capitalism. Because colonialism is nothing but an offshoot and aspect of capitalism. Therefore, if you're anti-colonial, you must be anti-capitalist, if you're logical in your thinking, of course, and your actions. Some people are not, but we are speaking of logical people here. <laughs> if you're anti-capitalist, then you must be socialist. Capitalism cannot unite Africa. Africa has to be united by socialism. Now, there's a lot of confusion here on this question of capitalism and socialism. Just recently, a young man said to me, but socialism died. I said, it did. He said, "Yeah, and hear about it. I said, I missed the funeral. Yeah. <laughs> of course, he spoke about the betrayals that occurred in the East. You must not let capitalism confuse your thinking. This is a struggle which Pan-Africanism takes on. We struggle against imperialism in the illogical arena, because many people think that capitalism just wants to exploit your labor. It wants to confuse your thinking and make you think just like them. And this is where the real fight occurs. So therefore, this struggle of confusing the thinking. I told the man, I said, you're talking nonsense. Socialism cannot uh, uh, disappear. It cannot die. He said, yes, it can. I said, no. He said, how do you say that? I said, well, you are judging uh, socialism by socialists. You don't do that. He said, I've never heard such nonsense. If you don't judge socialism by socialists, what do you judge it by? I said, you judge it by its principles. Every system is judged by its principles, never its adherence. So he still saw confusion. He said, you're just talking double talk. I said, okay, do you judge Christianity by Christians? So we must not be confused here. Socialism doesn't fall because of betrayal. No system does. The person who betrays themselves goes to the mud, but the system with its eternal principles keep marching on. If a system fell because of betrayal, Christianity would have been finished with Judas. At least Judas had the dignity to hang himself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some of these who betray socialism don't have that dignity. Gorbachev still runs around speaking and picking up 30 pieces of silver everywhere. Yeah. So uh, socialism is an economic system. And there can only be two in the world, capitalism or socialism, because every economic system must answer one fundamental question. Who will own and control the wealth of the country? Who will own and control the means of production? The question can only be answered two ways. Either a few will own or everyone will own. It's as simple as that. And under capitalism, we say, please, please summarize that we might have... No, I'm going. I thought I had 20 minutes. It's my t- I thought I had 20 minutes. I was going by the clock. How much time do I have left? I'm sorry, maybe I'm off. That's what I thought I did. I was watching it. Now I'm watching my clock. I'm irresponsible. I'm rev- revolutionary. I go back Got <laughs> my clock. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, I can say it in two words, black power. <laughs> and today we've gone to one, Pan-Africanism. <laughs> yeah. So there are only two economic systems, and it's going to be capitalism or socialism. Capitalism is a backward system. There's no need to discuss it. Certainly anyone who's been made a slave by capitalism ought to be hesitant in trying to support the system. But as a conscious African, I must be against capitalism, and I must, of course, seek to destroy it. So when you speak of Pan-Africanism, you must understand you speak of socialism. And we want to underline there's only one socialism out here, and that's scientific socialism, whose principles are abiding and universal. There's no such thing as African socialism, Chinese socialism, Russian socialism, Arab socialism. There's only one socialism. The confusion arises over ideology. That is that which guides you towards your objective. So we're saying clearly here, Pan-Africanism is not an ideology. It is an objective. It is an achievable. Pan-Africanism is the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. All we want is a unified continent with a socialist system. That's all. But you know Africa is the richest continent in the world. When she's properly organized, she'll be the most powerful. Yeah, Of course, of course, and me, all I want is power. (laughs) I'm not like others. I don't want money. I don't want popularity. I just want the power I'm supposed to get. That's all. (laughs) That's all. With our struggle since the 60s, you will see nothing but betrayals by the petty bourgeois elements in our society. The African bourgeoisie is the most corrupt bourgeoisie in the world. In Africa, they seek luxury in the midst of mass suffering. There are more Mercedes in Africa than in any other continent in the world. In America, as soon as they arrive at a position based on the blood of the people, they snatch that position and run away from the people. But you must not think that they represent the people, they only represent their opportunistic self, using the people every step of the way. So you must not be confused. It must be clear then, for the 60s, the class struggle in the African revolution must be more ruthless and uncompromising than in any other revolution. Here then the masters must come without pity and without mercy to trample upon these reactionary pigs who after the people have gained struggle through their blood come to hand back the gains on a silver platter to the very enemy the people fought. This will come as a natural consequence. The people themselves are everywhere screaming that it's time for them to deal with these reactionary pigs. Even in America they say our leaders must be held accountable. They're only saying here that these people must be accountable to those who made it possible for them to get there. Thus, not only is the revolution inevitable, but it is clarifying itself and it is qualifying itself. For the African masses everywhere, the Claire position now for class struggle has become inevitable and irreversible. The petty bourgeoisie everywhere will be running for cover, but the masses will spare them not. Consequently, we, who have dedicated our lives to the people's struggle, we, knowing that the people will always be free, we, understanding that we must make a contribution to qualify our struggle since the 60s, have been dedicating all our energies to only one task, the organization of the masses of our people. The organization of the masses of our people. We are not running for mayor. We're not running for president. No changes can come from the top down. We're not stupid. Changes can only come from the bottom up the masses and the masses alone can make them. If you want to learn something from the sixties, the lesson is simple, organize the masses of the people. Thank you. Becoming Becoming conscious is linked to mobilization and organization, something we mentioned last year. We must make clear distinctions between mobilizers and organizers. To be an organizer, you must be a mobilizer, but being a mobilizer doesn't make you an organizer. Much confusion is to be found here Malcolm X was a great mobilizer. He was a great organizer. Martin Luther King was a great mobilizer. He was not a great organizer. These facts can be easily seen from King and Malcolm. When Malcolm went to a place, he left a mosque. When King went to demonstrations, he broke down desegregation and he moved on. As a matter of fact, King was not concerned with organization to the point that even though he was the most popular Baptist preacher in America without the shadow of a doubt and probably beyond the shadow of a doubt the most loved he could not become president of the Baptist National Baptist uh, Convention yeah so many of them the National Baptist Convention <laughs> as a matter of fact if my memory serves me correctly now and I remember as Mohammed speaks that uh, carried the article on the front page in 1964 when King tried to become president of the National Baptist Convention there was so much confusion there that a minister was actually put, pushed off the stage and died in the trouble yeah. and of course King lost the man who won was a reactionary man by the name of Jackson he never did nothing for the people never cared about the people just was a pork chop minister who used their money to put gas in his big Cadillac but he was organized. But he was organized. We say that we must come to know the difference between mobilization and organization because the enemy will use mobilization to demobilize us. Mobilization is very easy, very, very easy. Because since we are people who are instinctively ready to respond against acts of injustice, Anytime there's one little act of injustice, we can blow it up and we'll find people who come and make some mass demonstration around it. Miss Sally lost her job. Let's rally. She will get her job back. People will come and rally. So-and-so got kicked out of school because the teacher's unjust. unjust. The people will come and rally. They will come to rally at issues. And this is what mobilization does. It mobilizes people around issues. Those of us who are revolutionary are not concerned with issues. We're concerned with the system. The difference must be properly understood. The difference must be properly understood. Mobilization usually leads to reform action, not to revolutionary action. If we would look scientifically at the October 16th million and more march, we would see clearly that this was a mobilized event, not an organized event. We must know clearly the difference between mobilization and organization. One of the characteristics of mobilization is that it is temporary. Organization is permanent and eternal. Clear differences must be made because the unconscious can usually be captured easily around one-issue items, around mobilization items. But it's hard to catch them around organization. But these unconscious must be brought to organization. We must transform mobilization to organization. We say the enemy will come and use mobilization to demobilize us. Many brothers and sisters who have been to the Million and More March will say to you, I was there. Well, what are you doing today, my sister? I was there. There weren't too many sisters out there, but you know, with a million brothers together, you know where I had to be. I was there. (laughs) And then, of course, you find brothers. Yeah, I was there. I was there. I helped you. What are you doing today, brother? If we're not careful, we allow mobilization to become events. The struggle is never an event. It's a process, a continual, eternal process.
0: Bye-bye.